stretched on His love endures forever For the life that's been reborn His love endures forever Filled with 
Hello, welcome to church. Great to have you with us today. I hope you've enjoyed that first set of worship and uh, being able to sing and lift our voices to Jesus Christ and uh, to praise His His holy name. So uh, I, I just hope that that was a really special time for you this morning. We've also uh, just got some announcements now. The first of all of those is uh, that uh, hello to those doing church at home, at church today. Great to have you at church. If you would like to do church at home at church, then you can. All you need to do is be one of the first 20 people to book in online and we will be doing that every week until we can have more than 50 meeting. When we can have more than 50, we will return, but we'll let you know about that as soon as we know. Uh, also, I'd like to let you know that small groups now can recommence by meeting here at the church. So if you have got less than 20 in your small group, which all of them do, uh, you can come along and ho hold that meeting here at church and uh, enjoy meeting together around God's Word again. Uh, with with the, uh, the, the limit of 20 people inside or 50 outside, it means that other things can recommence as well. The first of those is our Thursday night prayer meeting, which occurs on the first Thursday of the month. And so the first Thursday of November, we will be holding a prayer meeting here at church. This is to continue to pray that God would do miracles amongst our people, uh, that He would uh, really inspire us to continue to bring hope to those around us in a community that, that is so desperate for hope right now. And uh, that we can also pray that uh, we can, can open up and, and do more again. Uh, we've also got midweek worship resuming on the third Wednesday of the month. So that will begin in uh, November as well. And uh, there might even be the possibility of holding a December men's breakfast or, or men's brunch. So we will let you know about that closer to as well. And I just really want to thank you to some of the blokes from our church who um, this week on, on uh, Wednesday morning, sorry, sorry Tuesday morning, um, uh, came along to, to church and, and helped clear out the shed. Uh, it looks so much better now, our much more clear space. Uh, so thank you to, to those wonderful blokes who came along and helped out with that this week. So there are our announcements today. Uh, thanks for tuning in. We're now going to be led in a time of communion. So if you'd like to, uh, to stay watching.
for all to see You are light, you are light When the darkness closes in You are hope, you are hope You have covered all my sin You are peace, you are peace When my fear is crippling You are true, you are true
Today, as we continue our series in Judges, God's grace in a selfish world, we continue with the story of Gideon as we see him go from fear to faith. And this is something that I know many of us struggle with, fear. How can we go from fear to faith? How can we move from a place where we are paralyzed or frozen in fear to a place where we are instead operating by faith, in confidence and assurance. Well, as we walk with Gideon today, we are going to learn all about going from fear to faith. So just before we jump into the last few verses of chapter 6, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you now and Lord, we acknowledge that we at times are fearful where we should be operating in faith. And so may you use this story of Gideon today to help us go from fear to faith. And may your word be alive and living and active within us, we pray this morning. Amen. So let's jump in there. Judges chapter 6, verses 33 to 35. Now all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the East came together And they crossed the Jordan and camped in the valley of Jezreel. But the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon, and he sounded the trumpet, and the Abizrites were called out to follow him. And he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, and they too were called out to follow him. And he sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, and they went out to meet him. So sometime after Gideon destroys the altar of Baal in his hometown, the Midianites and Amalekites gather in strength and in number in the Jezreel Valley, not far from Gideon. We see later that this force numbers some 135,000 men and would most likely be the beginning of their annual invasion to pillage the land of the Israelites which of course strikes fear throughout Israel. And then we see, just like Othniel, the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon. He, he sounds this trumpet and he calls the Abyssalites to follow him. He sends messengers throughout the local tribes around him and they too came and followed Gideon, as did, did Asher and Zebulun and Naphtali. You see, what we have on display here is the fact that Gideon, he is not confident in God's power. And so he embarks on this extensive military draft. You know, when the the Spirit of the Lord first appeared in Judges chapter 3, it possesses Othniel, the first judge, and deliverance follows immediately. Yet here, however, when the Spirit possesses Gideon, 
And despite the auspicious sign that, that several tribes fall into place when, when Gideon sounds the trumpet, Gideon hesitates in fear. And so it appears that the effectiveness of the Spirit is directly linked to the human participation. And this is true for us today. We have free will and we can choose to do God's will or not. Even if clothed with the Spirit of the Lord. It was true for Gideon, and it's true also for us who have the indwelling Holy Spirit. So we too can be fearful and, and untrusting whether God is able to deliver on his promises. We too can be paralyzed by fear and choose procrastination over possession of all that God is leading us into. And we're then shown exactly how fearful and uncertain Gideon truly was as we come to one of the most well-known passages of Judges as Gideon lays out his fleece. Verse 36. Then Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, behold, I am laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece alone and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand as you have said. And it was so. When he arose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece, he wrung enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl with water. Then Gideon said to God, Let not your anger burn against me. Let me speak just once more. Please let me test just once more with the fleece. Please let it be dry on the fleece only and on all the ground that there be dew. And God did so that night and it was dry on the fleece only and on all the ground there was dew. Gideon's desire to test God was in direct violation of the Mosaic law, which prohibited people from testing God, as we read in Deuteronomy 6.16. Gideon himself was aware that he was doing something unwise, if not sinful, since he asked God not to be angry with him. Now, he may have just made this, this really simple mistake because wool uh, apparently attracts dew. And so he may have put the dew out and said, yeah, make that wet and everything else dry. For, and then realized, oh, maybe actually that was natural. Let me do it the other way around to, just to make sure it's God. Like this could have been the process he went through by testing again. And so he, he's just so uncertain before God. And, and it's quite, quite amazing so Gideon already knew God's will, calling him to serve on behalf of God's people. And so what Gideon's requests reveal is his fear and his weak faith. Yet despite this lack of faith, God accommodated both of Gideon's requests. And this also reveals something about God too. God was more anxious to deliver Israel than to quibble with Gideon over these tests. Sometimes I believe God does 
placate our human frailties and work with us despite our failures and frailties uh, rather than always chastise us about them. But it's really important that we do make the point here that, that Gideon's fleece is not a sign of faith. It is, in fact, the exact opposite. It is not a search for God's will. It is a desperate grasp for security by one who knows clearly what the will of God was, but who was reluctant to do it. You know, when it comes to God, obedience must be a Christian's priority. We shouldn't look at this story from Gideon as a a method to discern God's will. Putting out the fleece is not only evidence of our unbelief, but it's also an evidence of our pride. It's like saying that God has to do what I tell him to do before I'll do what he tells me I'm supposed to do. But putting out the proverbial fleece can be a wise method to test our fellow human beings as a way of discernment, particularly in areas where we may have been hurt or burned before. Now, I'm not sure if you're aware, but uh, in the discussions leading up to us coming here to pastor at the church in Wangaratta, I made a few requests of the leadership team to aid in our discernment process. One of those was a request that I be granted leave every second Christmas. You know, this was a proverbial fleece that, I, that we laid out, so to speak, and, and the response showed to us that the church will love and care for us as much as we will be dedicated love and care for the church, showing us that the church valued us enough to permit us time away to be with family was important and it proved to us that the leaders would care for our health and our well-being as we pastor this church and that has certainly proven true. You know, sometimes it is appropriate to test others in our discernment processes but this is not an approach we should take in our relationship with God. When it comes to God, Christians must make obedience our priority. God tolerated Gideon's lack of faith because it was so important to him that Israel was delivered from the hands of the Midianites. God was more concerned for the welfare of his people than the lack of faith of one person. We pick the story up in chapter 7, verse 1. Then Jeroboam, that is Gideon, And all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the spring of Harod. And the camp of Midian was north of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. The Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now therefore proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling... Let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people returned home and 10,000 remained. So the Israelite army that Gideon had called together numbered 32,000 men compared to the 135,000 Midianite warriors. 
But having strengthened Gideon's faith with the fleece, God was now going to stretch Gideon's faith to the max. See, God clearly revealed his purpose in reducing Israel's army. He wanted everyone to recognise that the victory was his work rather than Israel's. In the law that Moses had given, he said that the Israelites should not force the fearful to go into battle in Deuteronomy 20 verse 8. And so God reminded Gideon to give any who were afraid the opportunity to go home. And more than two out of three went. And this must have shocked Gideon. You know, 22,000 people go home, more than two-thirds of those that had gathered, leaving Gideon with his 10,000 men to fight 135,000 warriors. Surely the odds were so far stacked against them, being outnumbered 13 to 1, Sorry, this would display God's victory with this number. No doubt this stretches Gideon's faith even more to be obedient to God with such a terribly outnumbered force. And it's important that we look here that Judges chapter 7 verse 2 is one of the most important verses in the Bible for understanding God's principles on spiritual warfare. God is not interested in simply giving his people victory. He is concerned with teaching us trust. In fact, if our victories make us self-reliant, they are ultimately more disastrous than defeat. Don't gloss over the wisdom of this passage. God is not interested in simply giving his people victory. He is concerned with teaching us trust. If our victories make us self-reliant, then they're more disastrous than defeat. See, we can so easily fall into the trap of sinful self-reliance. And this is particularly true of the wealthy. When you have enough money, you can either buy yourself out of most problems or avoid getting into them in the first place. This is a word of of caution for Christians. Does your money reduce your reliance on God? Have you replaced God with your own ability to provide for yourself through your wealth? I believe it's harder to, to reach the wealthy with the gospel because just about the only thing they lack is eternal salvation With their wealth, they can be blissfully distracted from the spiritual realities that they will one day confront face to face. For those that lack nothing because of wealth, they are self-reliant and have no apparent need of the provision from God. It's harder to reach these people with the gospel. But they too need to be introduced to Jesus They too have a deep spiritual need that money cannot meet. Salvation cannot be bought by anything other than faith in the blood of Jesus. Self-reliance is more disastrous than defeat because it teaches us to trust in ourselves rather than to trust in God. This was a lesson Gideon would learn acutely. 
verses four to eight of chapter seven. And the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Take them down to the water and I will test them for you there. And anyone of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, shall go with you. And anyone of whom I say to you, this one shall not go with you, shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink and the number of those who lapped putting their hands to their mouths was 300 men. But all the rest of the people knelt down to drink water. And the Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand. So the people, oh, oh, so, and so let everyone else go, each man to his own home. So the people took provisions in their hands and their trumpets, and he sent all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, but retained the 300 men. And the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. So the normal way people would drink from a stream was to get down their hands and knees and stick your face into the water to drink. This is what most of the soldiers did. A much smaller number simply remained standing or kneeled down and, and reached down and, and dipped their hands in and cupped the water and, and brought it up to their lips. This may have been 300 who were more eagerly or, or even more fearful and, and didn't want to be in, in a vulnerable position down, you know, without being able to see around uh, them. These are the people that, that God chooses. God tells Gideon to send the majority of his troops home, that he would deliver Israel with only the few that remained, with these 300 men. And so this leaves the ratio of Midianite to Israelite soldier at about 450 to 1. Insane odds. No military commander would even think about going into battle in this circumstance. But numbers are not determinative when it comes to spiritual warfare. Even before God told Gideon to let the larger group of soldiers go home, he gave him a promise that he would deliver Israel with the 300 remaining warriors. This promise undoubtedly encouraged Gideon's faith, even though Gideon's faith was at first very weak, when he finally trusted and obeyed God, he became a powerful tool in God's hand. God then commanded Gideon to prepare for battle. Verse 9. That same night the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hand. But if you're afraid to go down... Go down to the camp with Pura, your servant, and you shall hear what they say. And afterward, your hands shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. So then he went down with Pura, his servant, to the outpost of the armed men who were in the camp. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east lay along the valley like locusts in abundance. And their camels were without number as the sand that is on the seashore in abundance. When Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade. And he said, Behold, I dreamed a dream, and, and behold, a, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian and came 
to the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned it upside down so that the tent lay flat. And his comrade answered, This is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. God often God, God offers Gideon another sign that he would be victorious, which strengthens his faith even more, even though he would be going into battle against such overwhelming odds. You imagine Gideon like creeping up and, and listening to this conversation of these, these two, two, two guards on watch as he, one guard explains about this, this loaf of bread that just tumbles into their camp and flattens the tent and, and everything like I'm not sure about you, but I don't think a, a loaf of bread could flatten a big, a big tent. But that's what his dream happens. That's, this is the dream that God plants within this soldier. And so this, this soldier is, is recounting it. And his friend says to him, that is Gideon. See, see they're aware of, of, of Gideon. They're aware of, of what he's doing and, and, and how he's stood up against Baal. And, and so, so they are aware of what's going on. And they're like, oh, surely this is that, that, you know, we are being given into the hands of Gideon. Verse 15. As soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and, and its interpretation, he worshipped. Great response, worship. And, and he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. And he divided the 300 men into three companies and put trumpets into the hands of all of them and empty jars with torches inside the jars. And he said to them, look at me and do likewise. When I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpet and I and all who are with me, then blow the trumpets also on every side of all the camp and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. So Gideon, he's, he's emboldened that there is going to be a great victory and, and he has completely turned fear into faith. And he adopts the most curious military strategy. His strategy is this. Take a torch burning in a, in a clay jar to hide the light in one hand and in the other, take a trumpet. In three groups of 100 men, go to different points around the camp. Then when the time comes, blow the trumpet, <whistles> smash the jar to reveal your torch and shout, for the Lord and for Gideon. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a pretty bizarre military strategy. No man is holding a sword. They're holding a trumpet and a torch. Verse 19. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle of the watch when they had just set the watch. And they blew the trumpets and smashed the jars that were in their hands. Then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the jars they held in their hands and torches and, and in their, their right hands the trumpets to blow. They cried out a, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Every man stood in his place around the camp and, and all the army ran. They cried out and fled 
when they blew the 300 trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his comrade and against all the army. And the army fled as far as Beth Shittah towards Zerarah, as far as the border of Abel-Meholah by Tabath. And the men of Israel were called out from Naphtali and from Asher and from Manasseh, and they pursued after Midian. In a full turnaround of events, God now causes fear to run right through the Midian camp, believing they were under siege. And, and in the confusion, the noise of the surrounding flames, God uses the Midian army to turn on each other and start fighting themselves. Gideon commences his attack at midnight. You know, many of the Midianites would have been sound asleep. And upon wakening, they would have experienced utter confusion by the sights and sounds of their enemies. In addition, the movements of their own soldiers milling around the camp as a result of a recent watch change would have disoriented them even further. And perhaps their camels may have even stampeded, being frightened by the torch fires and general confusion and giving the waking Midianites the impression that mounted soldiers had invaded their camp. The Midianites felt so bewildered by this surprise attack that they slaughtered their fellow soldiers in the confusion and fled for home. This story of Gideon begins with him hiding in a wine press, threshing wheat, living in absolute fear of the Midianites. To now, the Midianites fleeing in fear of the Israelites led by Gideon. Gideon has gone from fear to faith. The fear in Gideon's heart held him back from being able to trust the promise God had given him about his delivering Israel from the Midianites. To overcome this deficiency in Gideon's life, God uniquely worked to expose the problem of fear in his life and to bring him to a point of worship and faith. Then and only then was Gideon ready to lead Israel in battle. Verse 24. Gideon sent messengers throughout all the hill country of Ephraim saying, come down against the Midianites and capture the waters against them as far as Beth Barah and also the Jordan. So all of the men of Ephraim were called out and they captured the waters as far as Beth Barah and also the Jordan. And they captured the two princes of Midian, Oreb and Zeb. They killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb and Zeb they killed at the winepress of Zeb. Then they pursued Midian and they brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon across the Jordan. Gideon leads this great battle, wins great victory, and they capture the Midianite princes, Oreb, whose name means raven, and Zeb, whose name means wolf. The Midianites had acted like scavengers, like ravens, and predators, like wolves. And so these names are ironically appropriate. Israel kills off the scavengers and predators that had for so long caused them to live in fear. This record of God's great deliverance of his people illustrates what God can do through one person who, though weak in faith, is willing to trust and obey him. 
It is not our responsibility to understand how God is going to keep his word and accomplish his work. It is our responsibility to obey him and to do what he commands. Now, while it seems that Gideon has moved from fear to faith, the situation may be more complicated. The two versions of Gideon's battle cry, the first, for the Lord and for Gideon, and the second, uh, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon, verses 18 and 20 respectively, suggest that Gideon may also have been moving from fear and from faith to self-assertion. While from one perspective, Gideon may simply be exercising strong military leadership, he also seems willing to at least take some of the credit for the victory. This is not a good sign. See, Gideon had earlier felt that he was nothing and the Lord was everything. But now in this shout, Gideon claims a piece of the spotlight along with God. And so whilst this story serves as a great example of moving from fear to faith, there is also a caution to not let that faith shift from faith in God to faith in ourselves. And so my takeaway for today, my two takeaways for today are these. Number one, let fear move you to faith. Let fear move you to faith. Gideon turned from fear to faith. He did it through much doubt and testing of God. We too can turn from fear to faith. But I believe what fear does is actually helps us to identify where our faith is lacking. See, we can use fear to serve our purposes and to help move in those areas into operating by faith in God. Some people are fearful of dying. And when you are in fear of death, you are robbed of the assurance by faith of your eternal destiny. You know, Paul says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You know, when we die, we don't lose anything. We gain everything. When we die, the only thing we no longer have is the opportunity to introduce other people to Jesus. And so we'd better get on with that job while we still have breath. And so if you're in fear of death, turn that into faith by resting on the assurances of Scripture that your destiny is secured by the grace of God on display in the personal work of Jesus Christ. Respond in faith and be secure that this indeed is your future. That's one area. What are the other areas and the other things that that you are afraid of? What are you fearful about? When you mull over that question, I'm sure that there'll be things that come to mind. And it is in these things that we fear where we are going to try the hardest to take control to mitigate the risk. It is in these areas where we fear where we're going to, going to try our utmost hardest 
to take control so that our fears are not realised. We will try to take control to protect our families. We'll try to take control to avoid being hurt. We'll try and take control to steer towards a safer place. We'll try and take to c- control to, to maintain a, a status quo that we, we can live with. We'll try to take control and choose the least worst outcomes. But what that is really doing is letting fear rule and reign over you. Those fears are there to highlight and to point out to us where we instead need to activate faith. Let fear move you to faith. If you are in fear of something, move to faith and prayerfully hand it over. Don't try to take control. Take faith to that fear instead. Let fear move you to faith. And my second takeaway today is to trust in God above yourself. Now, being self-reliant is a virtue our culture champions. And there are aspects of self-reliance that are helpful. But when self-reliance leads us to trusting in ourselves rather than God, that's a problem. Earlier I mentioned wealth as one area. This is visibly in operation but I'm sure that there are many other things that we put our trust in instead of trusting in God. Where we trust in our own abilities, our own strength, our own personalities, our work, our title, our family even, where we trust ourselves instead of God. Another way this plays out is, is by replacing God with something else. For some They look to the government to provide for them, to lead them, to provide the framework to rule and run their their lives rather than God. They trust the government instead of God. They replace God with the government. What what else have, have you replaced God with? When we believe we know better than God, we've replaced God with ourselves. But Gideon gives us a clear example of trusting in God above ourselves. Let him win the victories in our lives. We just need to show up and be obedient to his call and trust in God above ourselves. Gideon's example leads us to this warning though. He turned fear into faith with such confidence. But he also turned his confidence from God into confidence in himself. And so the lesson is clear for us to see. Trust in God above yourself. So that's my message today. It's done. Next week, we ran out the story story of Gideon with chapter 8. So join us either here online again next week or at church for the first 20 people that book in to church at home at church. So as as I close the service, just before we sing this next song, the two takeaways that I hope will stay with you this week and for many weeks to come 
Let fear move you to faith and continue to trust in God above yourself. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, Almighty God, we thank you. We thank you for your word. This morning we have gone through this story of Gideon. We have seen you do a mighty work of salvation for the nation of Israel through his obedience. We've seen him go from a a person paralyzed in fear to a person now active in faith. And Lord, may that be the same for us too. May you use the fears that we have to highlight where we need to activate our faith and where we need to trust in you above ourselves. And so, Lord, may you lead us from fear to faith as we continue to trust in you above ourselves. I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.
Don't forget, Thursdays are still on at 10.30am for some fellowship here at the church. If you want to come out, then we'd love to have you. And everything else is going to start back up again soon. So I'm really looking forward to seeing you face-to-face here at church. As soon as we're allowed, we'll get into that as, as soon as we can. And so remember, if you want to do church at home at church, uh, then book in online or give me a, a call or a text and I'll book you in for you if you can't jump on the link. Um, The links are in the emails. If you're not getting emails, uh, then you can sign up uh, through our Facebook page or just emailing me, Aaron, A-A-R-O-N, at wangaratabaptist.com.au and I can sign you up. Uh, So uh, if you want to keep up to date, that's the easiest way to do so. Uh, So I remember again, Thursday, the first Thursday of the month is prayer meeting here at the church, 7 till 8 p.m., uh, the third Wednesday of the month is midweek worship, again here at the church, 7 till 8 p.m. Uh, so there's many opportunities for you to get back involved in things. And uh, I know that we've all been enjoying uh, the, the, the peace and, and the, the quieter life of uh, not having these things to go to. But, but let me assure you, prayer is important. Worship is important. Fellowship is vital. And as soon as we can get back to meet as church, we should. We should not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. So I encourage you with these words. I trust this service was also encouragement to you. Let fear move you to faith as you continue to trust in God above yourself. Blessings to everyone.